Let's bring him in. I had a chance to catch up with him right before the show. Friend of mine, now uh, afternoon drive host on 670 The Score in Chicago, Danny Parkins. So, Danny, it, it's amazing the reaction we have seen from the last dance across the country. The ratings have been huge. We've never talked more Michael Jordan, it seems, than now since since he played. But I would imagine it is that times 100 in Chicago. What, is, had, what has it been like to describe this, to talk about it, particularly when there's no sports and this has taken center stage? Yeah, it's like Sunday night football uh, in Chicago, honestly. <laughs> it's like the Bears play on Sunday night football every week, and we get to talk about it. Axe, it's such a big event that I get to talk to you. This is yes. amazing. How have you been, my man? I, we, we haven't spoken on your show in years. It's, it's insane. It's not right. It's insane. It, it shouldn't take Michael Jordan in a pandemic to make that happen, but uh, better late than never, my friend. That's exactly right. I've, uh, I'm thrilled for, for your successes and following you and listening to you on the podcast and the stuff you're doing. So thank you uh, for having me on. And, yeah, this is the gift of Michael Jordan. He, he sp- spans generations and reunites old friends. I was on Twitter right after it ends, and you're just seeing the flood of reaction come in. And, and you just said it. It's like Sunday night football. And I see Danny Parkins live on the air discussing the last dance. And I'm like, that's how big this is. Now, my question is, would you be doing that in a non-pandemic world where you know the Cubs are playing and the White Sox are playing and, and things are essentially normal right now? How big do you think this would be had the pandemic, that little you know coronavirus thing, not settled in? Well, it would not be the most watched sports documentary of all time, I don't think. Um, I don't know that it would have beaten O.J. Simpson, Made in America. And for the record, it's not, it's not better than O.J. Simpson, Made in America. Like That's clearly a product of our time. This thing's not going to be winning an Academy Award. And it would have just been so different. Like the, the plan was to air two episodes a night on the off nights of the NBA Finals. So it would not have been spread out across five weeks. There would not have been this like collective hype for it, right? We would have, people would have watched Bucks Lakers and then maybe done more things with the family and then DVR'd the Jordan documentary as opposed to now all sports fans have nothing to watch. And so the only thing you want to watch is this documentary. These are the types of programs that are not normally watched live in the age of DVR and on-demand programming. So I think the pandemic is directly responsible for the cultural phenomenon of the documentary. If there was normal times, it would be huge in Chicago, but it would not be nearly as huge nationally because Stanley Cup, NBA Finals, baseball, Masters, like major golf season, all of those things would have been happening, and people would have gotten to it at their own leisure, like they get to basically everything else in entertainment right now at their own leisure. Are there certain aspects of this that have come up that are uniquely Chicago that people in that city knew at the time that the rest of us are just starting to learn? What things have come up that you've noticed that, like, ah, we knew that all along, but it's new to everybody else? So that's a great question, and it's just it's, it's hard to know how much other people were paying attention at the time, but, like, clearly the season being termed the last dance was known nationally at the time, but I think most people outside of Chicago forgot it, right? You assume, oh, Jerry Krause, he inherits Michael Jordan, but then builds the rest of the dynasty around him. His name hangs in the rafters of the United Center. He wins six titles as the GM. This must be a beloved figure in Chicago. 
no, that's not the case. And so I think it just depends on how much people outside of Chicago were paying attention to it. Like, for example, I was shocked last night how many people on Twitter did not know the story of Steve Kerr's father being murdered. Like, that's he wasn't in Chicago when that happened, right? He's a, a college kid getting ready to go. Uh, you know, he's at Arizona. And I thought that that was just well-known because of how outspoken Steve Kerr has been on issues related to gun violence and the Second Amendment and mass shootings. So it always surprises me what people do and do not know. But uh, Scottie Pippen being on the trade block multiple times, Jerry Krause in his infatuation with Tim Floyd looking to get rid of Phil Jackson, he could go 82-0 and and he'd be gone, Uh, the gambling, all of those things were very well known in Chicago. And if you read... David Halberstram's book or Sam Smith's book, um, a lot of this stuff had already been reported. So there wasn't a ton that was new in this documentary for Chicago Bulls fans who followed it very closely. But still, it like the best way to put it is like this was a big scab, and this documentary was picking away at the scab, <laughs> and all of a sudden people were were like mad again at the Bad Boys Pistons, and to hear Isaiah Thomas's explanation for not shaking hands three decades later, like we were debating that like it had happened three days ago, not 30 years ago. So the power of those teams in that era was that the feelings were so visceral that once you like put your head back into, oh my God, Scottie Pippen didn't go in 1.8 seconds. Like everybody knew that it happened. It was hotly discussed at the time, but to hear him say he would do it all over again or to hear Isaiah Thomas explain the handshake the way that he did if we were able to treat that as if it was a present day topic because those were those guys talking about it in the present day about something that happened 30 years ago. My buddy Danny Parkins from Chicago joining us here on ESPN Radio Syracuse, of course, a former radio host right here in the Cuse and an SU alum. And Danny, I'm not a Chicago Bulls fan, but back in the day, we all watched Jordan and all admired Jordan. And I remember at the time, I was just starting out in radio and I was angry then that they wanted to break this up, that, as you mentioned, we knew this was the last run for the Bulls. And a spoiler alert for those that haven't seen, I'm not really giving anything away here, but at the end of last night, the when it all culminates, to see Jerry Reinsdorf try and like haphazardly say, oh, no, I offered Phil the chance to come back, and like he's trying to play the hero in some way that he wanted to keep this together. Like That made me angry. I'm not even a Bulls fan, but I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like this half-ass... I tried to keep this thing together just to like get it on the record. It's like, who are you trying to kid here, bud? We knew you were going to break this up. Jerry Krause said to Phil Jackson, you go 82-0, and 0, you're not coaching here next year. It was ridiculous, and I thought that the documentary actually ended kind of flat. Um, it was amazing television. It was wildly entertaining, but there were some things where it was lacking journalistically, and if you're going to call it the last dance, how you don't press Jerry Reinsdorf more on that claim, or how, frankly, you don't press Michael Jordan more on the claim that everybody would have signed a one-year deal to come back. Like That's just factually inaccurate. Scottie Pippen was so underpaid for so long, and it had multiple back surgeries, and was so mad at Jerry Krause. The Bulls ended up doing a sign-and-trade with him. The documentary said they just traded him. They did a sign-and-trade with him, which allowed him to get an extra $20 million in that contract that he signed with the Rockets. Like, Scottie Pippen was not coming back. That is, there's no way Scottie Pippen at 34 years old with those injuries was going to give up the chance at lifetime financial security to sign a one-year deal to chase the seventh championship. Like, 0% was not happening. Now, 
if you bring back Michael Jordan and you bring back Phil Jackson and the money that you would have spent on Kerr and Bushler and Longley and Pippen, uh, you figure out a way to sign Charles Barkley, which was talked about at the time, or something like that, maybe you could come up with a new version of a team to let Michael Jordan and Phil Jackson defend that seventh title. But Dennis Rodman only played 35 more games in the NBA total after that season. There was a lockout the next year. Like It's an entirely reasonable position to say that team had run its course, but it's ludicrous to paint yourself as the martyr when you could have stepped in at any point during the 97-98 season, diffused that entire thing, and said, hey, we'll work on this at the end of the year. And so what Jerry Reinsdorf said is ridiculous, but frankly what Michael Jordan said is also ridiculous. There was too much money and ego at that point, and the relationships had soured. There was no way they were going to run that thing back at that point. Yeah, I think a lot of people knew about Jordan, and I think they told the story well of here he was presented at first as this kind of you know, shining example of commercialism and the all-American hero, and then Sam Smith's book comes out, and and, and the tone starts to change. And we're like, we get a sense. Jordan even says it during the documentary, and I think one of his big hesitations was he didn't want people to really see how big of a jerk he could be. Now, that being said, the raw emotion that is still there, the competitiveness, when the director hands him the tablet, that, to me, was the best part of this whole thing. Anytime Jordan got handed that tablet, here, watch this and react to it, I loved seeing that. So I think if you were looking to get into this and get the raw sense of Jordan's competitiveness, you got that. But on that same vein, Danny, like, what did we learn about Jordan here that maybe we didn't know beforehand? Not much, because if you if you if you watched his Hall of Fame speech, like you knew that he was a competitionaholic, right, and that he would create any slight. So, like, the LeBradford Smith story, the fact that he didn't actually say, nice game, Mike, that was a new piece of information. And it's like, oh, my God, this guy scores 37 points on Michael Jordan. He goes out and and destroys him the next night in the back-to-back. But it wasn't enough that LeBradford Smith scored 37 on him and he was embarrassed on the court, and then he got him back the next day. He had to create some fable, some folklore, that had been true for 30 years, and he's like, ah, yeah, he never even said it. Like, that type of stuff is just pathological, right? Like, he's a little bit of a sociopath for competition. And so little morsels of detail like that are new. But when I was talking about, like, this thing being a little lacking journalistically, right, if Michael Jordan has final cut and he has the authority to release the footage and, like, Craig Hodges isn't even in the documentary, which is a totally egregious oversight. He wore a dashiki to the he wore a dashiki to the White House when they won the 92 championship and was openly critical of Michael Jordan for the Republicans buy sneakers too and not being willing to step out on an issue of social justice. And Craig Hodges never played in the NBA again after that protest at the White House. For him to not even be included that for, for Michael Jordan's ex-wife to not be included, for his kids to not be able to talk about what Michael Jordan was like at home, like it's important to note this was an incredible accomplishment of narrative storytelling. It was a brilliant piece of entertainment, but this was not a 360-degree examination of a man like Jordan. 
didn't want us to learn that much new about Michael Jordan. That's Danny Parkins, our good friend from 670 The Score in Chicago. We will put that up online at ESPNSyracuse.com. A couple of bonus questions that did not air that you will hear, including how Danny's doing. Now, NASCAR was back, as we will certainly discuss. Golf was back, as we will certainly discuss. Our top six list. One last time, top six moments from The Last Dance. Number one. Not now, voice guy, but we'll get to you later in the show. You know what else was back this weekend? You just heard it at the tail end of the open of the show, right? I've been asked about that a lot. People are like, what's what's that Axeman call? Well, that is our friend, Axeman the Horse, who, as Scooter informed us, in a weekend when sports was back, so was Axeman. In the winner's circle. Quarter to go, law-abiding citizen, Axeman up alongside in second. They're joined now by Kershaw in the white blinker, center of the track, route 66. Multiplier swings out, final furlong, and law-abiding citizen leads a length and a half. Axeman is very game. Multiplier finishing with nice strides in the center of the track. Multiplier kicking in as Axeman comes to law-abiding citizen. Law-abiding citizen or Axeman? Axeman! Solid effort. Put the head down when it mattered. Law-abiding citizen, then multiplier, Kershaw distant fourth. Yeah! Hardy $10 won on that race right there, baby. Uh, race four at Santa Anita over the weekend. Solid effort. Put the head down. That was close. I didn't realize how close that was, thanks to our buddy Jim CBW, who sent me the video of that. You can find it on YouTube on the Santa Anita Park YouTube site if you'd like to watch a very close race. Took it by a nose right at the end. You're welcome. You won 10 bucks on that race, baby. So a big return to sports and a return of the winner's circle. Because, as I've said, if uh, the horse with my name's not winning, we turn him into glue. So he gets to live another day. Congratulations. But, yeah, sports was back. And I don't want to use the word normal, but to have – we had the NFL draft a couple weeks ago. She's a, a couple weeks. It was like a month ago now, believe it or not. Time just kind of goes by at uh, different uh, <laughs> different speeds these days, right? Can't believe it's been about a month since that. But we had that. And the last dance has kept us occupied, and certain re-airings of sports have kept us occupied and kept the conversation going. And we've certainly done some things on this show, social media, the other formats that we're in to kind of keep that conversation flowing but at at the heart of it what we want to do is we want to watch sports and we want to react to sports who would be first in line to get out there and do it well two of the sports that always made sense to return given the way they could socially distance was golf and nascar and golf and nascar were two of the first to say yeah we're coming back here's when here's the procedures that will be in play and let's make it happen well We watched this weekend. We tuned in this weekend. Not only because it's been a while since we've watched real live sports with... See, the the draft was one thing. It was a television show that they could produce and had to do it in a, a unique way. And you're thinking about football and the improvements that your team is hopefully making on draft day. But it's a three day television show, right? It's similar to some of the other things that have been aired that have been broadcast because you're still not getting the results of anything but at least it was fresh it was new it was looking ahead it provides that usual hope and that boost that football fans are looking for that time of the year but it's not the same adrenaline rush as a sporting event although 
it kind of you know it it filled a need at the time, right? As the Last Dance has, but we all watched that the first time around. We're just kind of filling in details and getting stories we had not heard. And the I thought the Last Dance was amazing, and we'll do the top six moments from the Last Dance later in the show. Not now, voice guy number one. Still did it anyway. I got to tell you something. I was surprised I was more into the NASCAR than the golf this week. And I'm much more of a golf guy. I enjoy watching golf frequently when it's on throughout the year. And we would have, in a normal world, in a parallel universe somewhere where we don't have a pandemic that shut down sports, this would have been the PGA Championship. So to be watching some form of live golf on television this weekend would have been the case anyway. Just a much more condensed version. Now, what we learned in watching these sports, and that's what I'm going to be curious about when baseball comes back, when the NBA comes back, when hockey comes back, and even football to an extent, because what we saw, sports without fans. Like, these golf tournaments that are on this type of year that are not majors, there's not a lot of patrons or fans there anyway, but there's always some. And when a golfer makes a birdie putter, makes a great shot, it's an approach, puts an eagle putt in, there's just that normal rhythm and roar from the crowd. You go from quiet to loud immediately. NASCAR at least has the steady drum of sound. Back straight away, final time. Kevin Harvick is about to become the 14th driver in NASCAR Cup history. That's Mike Joy on Fox. And at least NASCAR, it's like it never left. There were no fans out there. When they interviewed Harvick afterwards, it was kind of weird. This is uh, a Central New York native, Cato native, Reagan Smith of Fox, interviewing Kevin Harvick after he won his 50th race taking the Real Heroes 400 at Darlington. What an incredible performance by you and your team today. You have won some of the biggest races in this sport. A champion, I have to imagine that this race today ranks right up there at the top of that list. Yeah, I just want to thank everybody from NASCAR and all the teams for um, letting us do what we do. This is a, you know, I didn't think it was going to be that much different, and then we won the race, and it's dead silent out here. So we miss the fans. Um, just got to thank everybody from Bushlight, Hunt Brothers Pizza, Mobile One, uh, Jimmy John's, Everybody from Ford who uh, who helps helps on this car. It's just um, it's a pretty pretty big honor to uh, to win 50 races in this deal. And um, you know, just got to thank all my team guys and and everybody for for what they're doing. Um, this Dr. Josh Hughes is, is one of my really good friends. Uh, spend a lot of time with him. Have seen how this whole pandemic has affected. Uh, our frontline workers in person um, on, a, on a weekly basis. So uh, thank you, Josh. We're thinking about you. Got to say hi to Delaney and my kids at home. Um, guess we'll bring home the trophy. Now we're back to normal. We're listing all the sponsors, right? A great story there about the, the doctor that he knew. That's uh, Kevin Harvick uh, with Reagan Smith on Fox. Ricky Fowler even joked about it to jump back to the golf. He makes a big putt and uh, greeted by the sounds of silence. Here it is from NBC Sports. Looks good. There. Oh, another Dude, one. That Ricky fell. Can I get on my That's Paul, right? Do you hear all those chairs? Oh, yeah, no, I still hear them. They're going crazy. <laughs> I got to press play on my speaker. 
There's Ricky Fowler and uh, the NBC crew kind of joking. Like, he, he drains this 30-foot putt for birdie, wins a big skin, and nothing. And he's kind of waving at the crowd, the lack of a crowd, right? So that was weird. And NBC had a heck of a lot more time to fill than Fox did. Now, Fox had to fill, as we normally would at a NASCAR race, when there's a caution flag. But they're so good at it. We had Mike Joy, Jeff Gordon, Larry McReynolds. They're going back and forth. Like, they know how to do this. NASCAR jumped right back in, and it just goes to show you how important audio is to sports. Even think of baseball. Just some random baseball game you run into on a random May night. There's kind of that steady hum in the ballpark. The sounds, the rhythm, the broadcasters, and then the crack of the bat and the action followed by more of just kind of that steady pace. Don't underestimate the importance of sound there. So that's what made the golf a little weird. NBC was trying to fill a lot of time with interviews. President Trump calls in. Bill Murray calls in, they did other interviews, and it was just, golf just kind of has that steady pace of action, and it's a great sport to take a nap to, right? But when they make a big shot like that, there's that jolt of energy. So you're kind of riding the roller coaster as opposed to kind of the steady rhythm of sound that comes from a NASCAR race when they're driving around. But between the two, and I don't want to make this critical of NBC, they had a hell of a, a production to put on. Mike Tirico was at home, and you had a few... Of the broadcaster, Steve Sands was there walking with the golfers, and Sands got criticized because he got close to Dustin Johnson at one point. And that's the thing we're all watching for, right? Not just that sports are back, but it's like, how are they going to social distance? And how's this going to look? How's it going to sound? How's it going to feel? NASCAR was fine, but Harvick referenced it there in the interview. He gets out. Normally, you're in victory lane. People are going crazy. The crowd's going nuts. Just dead silent. So, look. It's not a deal breaker. Like, for those that say, you can't have sports without fans. Yeah, you can. Right? There are still people out there that are maintaining that you can't play football without the crowd. And I understand the home field advantage that will take away from teams like the Buffalo Bills, like the Kansas City Chiefs, like the Green Bay Packers, Pittsburgh Steelers, that have major home field advantages. Think of, they have this new stadium in Vegas and there's nobody in it. That'll be weird, but... I'll get used to it. If Fox pumps in sound or not, even if it's just kind of that, you know what? When you watch the Masters on CBS, a lot of those noises are piped in. It's not just, you know, (laughs) they have very good microphones picking up the various wildlife. They piped some of that in, right? So I'm not a fan of like canned sound from like touchdown buffalo and they like i don't like that but if you want to pipe in certain things that kind of it's like a sound machine my daughter still sleeps with a machine right if you sleep with the fan on like people need certain things on or like some people can't have dead silence in the room so if you're going to give me the white noise that i require as a sports fan for it to feel normal i'm kind of good with that You don't want it to be too canned or too artificial, but this whole notion that we can't do this without fans, uh, yeah, we can, and we should, and we should keep it going, and as weird as it's going to be, I think we know it's temporary. How long we define the word temporary, 
we're all kind of figuring that out together. But the fact that we're seeing sports, I played the clip earlier, I played again here uh, briefly, this was Governor Cuomo, and know your audience, right? He's in Western New York today, but encouraging news. I also have been encouraging major sports teams to plan reopenings uh, without fans, but the games could be televised. New York State will help those major sports franchises to do just that. Uh, hockey, basketball, baseball, football, whoever can reopen. We're a ready, willing, and able partner. Uh, personal disclosure, I want to watch the Buffalo Bills, but I'm still objective. I'm acting as governor. There's no personal agenda here. Yes, I do want to watch the Bills, but uh, that is not subverting my role as governor. I think this is in the best interest of all the people and in the best interest of the state of New York. The Bills make me wanna Come on, Governor. Throw your hands up we know that was in your head the whole time. Come on now. There's only one NFL team in your state, Governor. Stand up now. I don't think you need me to remind you of that. The bias you're showing is no bias at all. There is only one NFL football team located within the borders of your state. Come on. Hey, there's, there's no bias there. Just just facts only. We need facts. We need straight information at these press briefings. And it just, look, facts. It's one NFL team within the borders of New York State. One. That's it. That's it. It's your Buffalo Bills. That's all. Governor of California, Gavin Newsom, saying the same thing. And California has been one of the strictest states when it comes to COVID-19 regulations and social distancing and when to come back and different states are handling this differently in terms of phases and what's open and what's not. But everybody seems to be getting on the same page as we all kind of find our way through the dark here. Like, yeah, we need sports back. We can do sports. Testing is at the point where we can do this. So let's make it happen. And to see NASCAR and golf on TV this weekend, soccer, if you were into that, our boy Axeman winning another horse race, whatever it was. It felt good. Normal is not the right word, but as close to normal as we can be in these days. And it's going to be a fight to get out of the rest of this. There's still 30 million people plus without work right now. And, the you know, the stock market actually had a great day, but it could have a bad day tomorrow. And, and things change on a daily basis here, as we know. But sports is one of those mirrors of society that kind of shows us where we're at. And if sports are starting to say we can come back in this way, then that's encouraging. That should be seen as encouraging. The role that it can play for the mental health of a society and, and everything else. Now, there's going to be some, to steal a term that I used to say to my daughter when she was young all the time, there's going to be some boo-boos. Someone's going to test positive as a current athlete. It's going to happen, okay? I think we'd all be naive to believe, even with the social distancing, even with the measures people are taking now, that once you start congregating back together, even with daily testing and the precautions they're going to put into place, it's just going to happen. So the question is, what do you do then? Because a month ago, everybody's saying, well, you shut it down. Now, baseball, the plan in the NBA, the plan for hockey, they're saying, no, we we isolate, we contact trace, we, we can do this without having to completely shut the sports down. If there's multiple instances and there's an outbreak, well, now we got a different thing. But we're all going to kind of figure this out together. I was surprised, though, between the two broadcasts, between the two sports, the way they were being presented, I was much more into NASCAR. 
because it just felt more like a normal broadcast, except when you saw nobody in the stands, right? Golf, it was just, I give him credit for getting out there. It's going to be interesting how the Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson show is going to go on this weekend. That'll be great because they'll be mic'd up and they'll be breaking chops and raising money for relief efforts, and that'll go fine. And I'm sure TNT took plenty of notes from what NBC did wrong this weekend. Like, look, politics aside, President Trump can talk golf. The man plays a lot of golf. Right? And I'll just leave the political commentary out of that. But he can come on and talk golf with Mike Tirico. We don't need an interrogation about everything, but... That's not going to go well no matter what. I think even when Tariko's doing that interview, he knows he's being scrutinized for what he's asking, what he's not asking, the tone of it. Like half the people watching are going to rip it and half the people are going to praise it. That's just the country we live in today, right? Yay, democracy. But I think it was important to have the president of the United States on there, no matter who's in that office, to say, hey, what you're doing is great. We're getting back to it. You need that. Step by step. We're getting there. Did I mention how much golf the president? I mean, a lot of golf. Something he's an expert on. We'll break on that note.